Welcome to the Dr. Lori Morris podcast, where she interviews experts in health and science, sharing their expertise so you can live your healthiest life. This episode of the podcast is proudly sponsored by Fit Vegan Coaching, the world's leading whole food plant-based body recomposition program for Gen X and baby boomers. Founded by Maxime, whose personal journey began after losing his ex-fiance to breast cancer, Fit Vegan Coaching is on a mission to disease-proof the world through the transformative power of plant-based eating and fitness. This program is the Rolls Royce of plant-based coaching, offering all-inclusive services, personalized plans, world-class accountability, lifelong support, and more. Say goodbye to the yo-yo dieting and embrace a lasting transformation that will rev up your metabolism even post-transformation. Ready to take charge of your health and vitality? Head over to fitvegan.ca, that's fitvegan.ca, and mention Dr. Lori for exclusive bonus savings when you sign up. Don't miss this opportunity to join the movement towards a healthier, fitter, and more vibrant you. Are you tired of compromising between convenience and healthy eating? Look no further. Introducing Whole Harvest, your ultimate solution for wholesome plant-based meals. Whole Harvest is redefining the way you eat. Their meals are not only delicious, but also 100% whole food plant-based without any compromise. Whole Harvest takes pride in their approach. There's no oils, no added sugars, and low sodium. Plus, they have SOS free menu items available. I recommend Whole Harvest to my patients. They need convenient and compliant meals that can be delivered to their home. At Whole Harvest, you can reimagine your favorite dishes with a plant-based flair and enjoy menu items like the All-American Burger. Harvest lasagna and soba kimchi bowl. Whole harvest meals are chef crafted and made with high quality ingredients delivered straight to your door. And guess what? They ship nationwide so you can enjoy whole food plant based meals no matter where you are. And here's an exclusive offer just for our podcast listeners. Use the discount code PLANTS30 to receive $30 off your first order. Visit wholeharvest.com and place your order today. Again, that's wholeharvest.com. Your journey to delicious whole food plant-based eating starts here. This episode of the podcast is proudly sponsored by The Healing Kitchen, your path to vibrant health. Immerse yourself in the transformative program guided by the combined expertise of myself, Dr. Lori Marbus, and Chef Brittany Giruti, who has lost 70 pounds on a whole food plant-based diet. Here's what's in store for you. Virtual weekly sessions. Engage in an immersive 60-minute virtual session every single week, where you'll delve into the world of wholesome plant-based goodness right from your own kitchen. Cooking with Brittany the first half hour. Unleash your inner chef as you're captivated by Chef Brittany Giruti's culinary mastery that will delight your taste buds and nourish your body. Medical Q&A with Dr. Lori the last half hour. Prioritize your well-being during the second half hour. I will personally address your medical inquiries, providing evidence-based insights and personalized advice, empowering you to make informed choices for your health. So join us on the Healing Kitchen to help you step into a healthier and most vibrant future. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Dr. Lori Marvis, and today we have a special guest who's a nephrologist who specializes and understands plant-based nutrition, which I'm really excited to get to, but um, we'll hear his story is Shivam Joshi. How are you, sir? Good, good. Thank you for having me, having me Dr. Marvel. Yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. Call me Lori, please. <laughs> I should have said Dr. <laughs> Joshi. Um, nephrologist extraordinaire, and uh, you've been all over, it sounds like. So could you tell us a little bit about your background and why you chose to become a nephrologist? Yeah, so I, I love the kidneys. I started at an early age, and uh, my passion initially was in kidney transplant, and I thought I was going to be a transplant surgeon, and uh, props to those who continue the pathway and actually are surgeons and doing that work, but it's incredibly hard, and I got deterred by uh, the long hours which and the brutal schedule work. Uh, there's not much work-life balance. And so I wanted to become a transplant nephrologist, which is the non-surgical side. But then in my fellowship, I realized that actually what we need more is uh, what we need more of our preventative nephrologists, which wasn't really a thing that existed. And uh, I don't want to take credit for starting it because I know other people have been doing it, but um, I that was my goal, was to help create a field called preventative nephrology. Uh, where you emphasize not only just treating kidney disease after it's happened, but also helping prevent it, uh, uh, preventing its progression, preventing it from occurring in people, and then just uh, educating others about how what it is and uh, how to prevent the, the most common causes of it. Mm. So you you mentioned that you became interested in the kidney at an early age. Where, what, how, and why? <laughs> I, I would say, that, I mean, early in terms of my, my career, um, so in medical school, I got like maybe like the first month or two there, I got really into kidneys. I don't know why. I think it's just because uh, many nephrologists, um, kidney doctors like myself have a gravitation towards numbers, but I think that probably mm. explained it. Mm. You probably um, could be an engineer you know, as the, well, some of those guys. <laughs> Yeah, so you know, some people know they want to do stuff with their hands. Some people want don't want to talk to people, or so they might be a radiologist, or you know, not to to diss anyone. But there are certain traits within the specialty that exist, and people gravitate towards them. And uh, I think for nephrology, um, uh, that that is uh, with you know numbers and things like that. Uh, so for me, that's that's how it started. And so as I went through my training, what I realized is that in parallel with what I was learning was that um, uh, for my own health, that, uh, you know, eating healthier lifestyle was really important. And I got very little of that uh, education in medical school, um, which is on par with many medical schools, although that's changing uh, with the rise of culinary medicine and people understanding the importance of nutrition. Um, but uh, as I progressed, I realized that uh, there was actually very little information about plant-based nutrition in nephrology. So that's actually, um, in fellowship, I had kind of this, I don't know, uh, uh, awakening or uh, this kind of uh, uh, change or this uh, uh, process where I started giving a talk and then someone talked about it. And because it was so new, um, I started getting more invitations to talk about it around the country and uh, 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 you know with the uh, I've even collaborated with Dr. Hashmi who you've had previously and other people and uh, now there's more of us and we're all trying to push this needle and say we need to emphasize more on diet and nutrition kind of like how the cardiologists have been doing for decades mm -hmm. uh, there's still a lot of work to be done but uh, nephrology is behind on that curve. And so uh, it's unfortunate because dialysis is so costly. Having a single patient on dialysis 
can cost ninety to hundred thousand dollars per year for whoever that insurance company is that's paying for the dialysis for that patient. And you talk about cost, there's also lives lost because dialysis doesn't keep the same uh, longevity as having a normal kidney. And you talk about the impact that has on families and friends and society. So it's, some of that's unquantifiable. But that's why, that's why it underscores we really need to prevent kidney right. disease. Absolutely. So can we talk a little bit about what's the difference between like animal proteins and plant proteins when it comes to kidney health? Because I think there is a lot of discussion and maybe some confusion, I think, in the general public about that. Yeah. Um, so, and part of, part of that confusion actually comes from the, the our society, um, from our society. Uh, as nephrologists, we have kind of emphasized consuming animal protein for a long time because we thought that protein was high in value, uh, high in biological value. And many of our patients are on dialysis. They have a harder time absorbing protein and they have higher protein requirements. So we would emphasize eating these so-called so high quality proteins uh, like animal protein. But what we've learned is that it's possible to eat plant protein and get meet all the nutrition markers um, when you have kidney disease and also when you're on dialysis. And what we've learned is not only are you able to meet the protein requirements, but also you're able to um, attain some other benefits that you wouldn't get with animal protein. For example, plant protein has fiber, which has which helps with the microbiome. Uh, plant protein can help with blood pressure, can help with metabolic acidosis, can help with high phosphate levels. There's even observational studies showing an association with a reduction in mortality. Uh, so there's all these other potential benefits with plant protein that you don't get with animal protein. So now we're, we're kind of shifting the other way that make sure you get plant protein as well. Try and emphasize 50% or more of your proteins from plant protein. Obviously, uh, not everyone can eat exclusively plant protein, especially when our society is so heavily entrenched in animal protein, but if we can help move patients along the spectrum um, and meet them where they're at, that's certainly an improvement. Absolutely, perfect. So now when you have the different stages of kidney disease, can you just kind of give us an idea of like the general public, the population we're dealing with kidney disease and maybe break down that a little bit? Because some of my questions I think is, as people are embracing a, a more plant-based diet, what do they need to be cautious of and when in that journey? Yeah, so there's five stages to kidney disease. Um, about 16 or 17% of the population has kidney disease. Most of them have early stage kidney disease and don't know it. So if you have not been tested recently, you should go, go and get tested. And that just involves routine blood work with a primary care doctor. But a lot of people don't see their primary care doctor. And they can't get the labs to get tested or they may get tested, but don't follow up to understand the labs. Uh, so, um, uh, so there's five stages. Um, the stage one is the most benign or the earliest stage. And then stage five is the most advanced. And stage five also ends up uh, and can lead to kidney failure or also is also known as kidney failure when you um, end up on dialysis or receive a kidney transplant. Um, the biggest causes of kidney failure are diabetes being number one. And the second biggest cause is high blood pressure, both of which are largely preventable, but uh, unfortunately uh, all too common. Mm. 
So at what stage I know people will say, okay, they have uh, blood markers that show elevated creatinine or whatever, low GFR, and they eat a plant-based diet and this these numbers improve. Can you explain what's actually improving? Is it just decreasing inflammation? Because my understanding is that there's more of a scarring and it's just, you're just decreasing inflammation and that's what you're seeing that bump up and improvement in numbers. Or am I mistaken? Yeah, so I've seen I've seen that in a variety of studies, and then sometimes it's a little bit hard to explain. Um, for some people, they may have some improvement. Maybe they had some reversible component. Maybe their blood pressure was a little bit higher, and it was causing damage, and now they switched to a plant-based diet or a DASH diet, and that helped control their blood pressure, and now their kidney function is improving because there's less damage, and now the kidney is healing. There's also a water component in these plant foods. So maybe people are a little bit more hydrated as opposed to not. Um, uh, people may also need less uh, ACE inhibitors or ARB medications if they're eating a plant-based diet, may lose weight, the blood pressure improves. I've seen that in a few studies. Um, and then some other people, uh, there could be changes in terms of how much filtration is actually happening based on the level of protein. So the more protein you eat, the more filtration you have. Uh, but you know, over the long term, that can be problematic because that can cause a decline in kidney function because you're essentially causing the kidney to work harder than it should. So there could be a component of that um, playing as well. But plant protein tends to be less uh, burdensome for the kidney compared to animal protein. And why is that, would you say? We don't really know that. There's only one study that really did this comparison head on and did it appropriately so that we can make this uh, inference. But it, it probably comes down to the individual amino acids within the proteins themselves. And for whatever reason, plant protein is less inflammatory, less acidic, um, uh, perhaps gentler for the body compared to animal protein. So we see we see less hyperfiltration. That's the term that it's called with plant protein compared to animal protein. So, um, is it the? Do you think it might be the sulfa component found most mostly in animal products, or no? It could be. When it comes to at, um, for blood pressure, people have studied this, and people say that there's certain aspects of the amino acids that contribute that are associated with having a higher blood pressure but people have not studied this for hyperfiltration but um but it, you, you could be right we just mm. don't know okay and so as someone is thinking okay they're listening to this they're like i have kidney disease i have high blood pressure diabetes whatever um so up to what stage can they just go all in and is there you know, because of the potassium and your concerns there, at what point do they like, you only have stage four, whatever, I need to be more mindful and let my nephrologist know what I'm planning on doing. Yeah, so in the, if you have early stages of kidney disease, most likely you don't have to worry about potassium or phosphorus unless you've had these problems before for some reason. Some people can have high potassium levels and not have kidney disease because they're on a medication or something, and then other folks um, uh, don't have this problem. So uh, there is a little bit of caution and a little bit of grain of salt, but we have been moving in general in a direction of liberating the diet because historically, 
the old diet, as I was mentioning, we used to say eat a lot of animal protein for the protein aspect. We used to tell people also to avoid eating plant foods because of the potassium aspect. We were very concerned about potassium. We were also concerned about phosphorus. And this old renal diet, as it was called, uh, excluded a lot of these things, it excluded a lot of these healthy foods. Now we're moving in the direction based on evidence that's accumulated, showing that actually these foods are not only healthy, but don't cause problems that we thought they would. So we've been telling our patients, especially those who have early stage kidney disease, even moderate stage kidney disease, to eat a salad, have a banana, it's okay to eat beans, put down the processed food, burger, pizza, French, French fries, potato chips, et cetera, et cetera, uh, and eat these foods, which are some of the healthiest foods on the planet, not only for the kidney, but also for all the other aspects of the body. Uh, and I know you know this but for diabetes and blood pressure and obesity and cholesterol and kidney stones and on and on and on. So fortunately, uh, the field has been moving in this direction and, um, and other people have also, independent, independent of me, have also uh, um, seen this evidence and realized it and together, you know, alone we're one voice, but together we're a chorus and we've been uh, uh, singing this song now for some time, for a few years at least, and uh, I think things are changing. When should people start uh, being cautious in regards to their plant-based diet? Probably um, in advanced stages. You would um, Anyone that's stage three or more can see a dietitian to get more hands-on guidance, and there are some pitfalls to be mindful of. Uh, like juices, for example, can raise potassium levels, um, which some uh, folks uh, don't know. And uh, working with a dietitian, especially one that is skilled in plant-based diets and kidney disease, um, can be very useful. And finding one uh, can be hard. Uh, so that's why I've created a list on my website, afternoonrounds.com, that has a list. I don't get any kickback or anything from them. I just created that because it's a common question I get. I get questions from folks uh, all across the country, where can I get more information? And in many states, there are no plant-based nephrologists that I know of, but at least they can access uh, an RD virtually because there's less restrictions um, uh, in terms of uh, RD care. So um, uh, it's always important to work with an RD and then also to have labs periodically checked with a nephrologist because some people for whatever reason, can have uh, high potassium or high phosphorus, uh, and others may not. But uh, it's always important to be supervised and be cautious. But what we've seen in the literature is that people eating plant foods, vegetarian foods, generally don't have high potassium levels. It's actually the rare bird that we see an instance of that happening in the literature. And when it does, there's usually some sort of um, confounder or some other variable at play that affected and caused that potassium level. So have you any uh, fun patient stories of improvement or maybe even coming off of dialysis? I Coming off dialysis is pretty hard. Um, generally, once you're on dialysis, it's pretty hard to get off of because it's every, you know, three times a week. It's almost every other day for the most part. Um, people sometimes do come off dialysis uh, and, you know, in the regular nephrology sense, you know, if they have AKI from a rhabdo or not, you know, severe diarrhea or something, and then, and then they recover. 
from the plant-based perspective, a little bit hard. I haven't had a case like that, but what I can tell you is I've had a few people who've done remarkably well for their disease. I've had, um, for example, polycystic kidney disease. I've had patients who eat a plant-based diet and have been able to delay the progression of when they need to go on dialysis uh, by several years, if not maybe a decade. I've had other patients who've come to me with stage five kidney disease knocking on the door of dialysis and been able to put it off for months to years by making transformative changes. But I also want to caution because I've also seen some other folks who've come to me trying to get those results. They come stage five um, and they really need to start dialysis at that point. Sometimes stage five can be stage five, you can wait, and it's going to be stage five, no, you need to start dialysis today. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I don't want to mislead folks and say that everyone to stage five can reverse their stage five or put off dialysis for a long period of time just by eating a little bit more greens. Um, some people may have benefits. They may have improvement in their diabetes or blood pressure. They may lose weight, and that reduces the damage in their kidney, and they're able to hang on. But other people, it, it, you know, that, that, that ship might have sailed uh, a while back and uh, at that, you know, and at that time. And, and now you might need, just need uh, dialysis in order to, to survive. No, I so, agree. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I want to, I, 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 it is, when I see positive results, I'm encouraged, but I don't want to, um, uh, I don't want to be answering emails <laughs> next week. Uh, telling people to go to the emergency room to get dialysis, which has happened, uh, uh, believe it or not. So, um, no, I yeah. believe it. No, there, I mean, it's a balance, right? And it's, it's interesting because patients will reach out and book an appointment with me and see me and they're like, okay, I'm ready to go plant-based tomorrow. Stop all my meds. I'm like, no, <laughs> <laughs> um, or, you know, they haven't been taking care of their diabetes. Like I had a, a lady more recently this year who came in has had uncontrolled diabetes for almost two decades and I put a I put a CGM on her her blood sugars were topping out at 400 consistently A1C wow. was 12 13 and I was like and she's like I don't want to be on meds I'm like well <laughs> you might need to be on medications let's have right. this discussion and we put her on the appropriate meds we got her down she had a wound it healed and what was amazing was now uh, where we stopped insulin after three months. She goes, I've never seen blood sugars like this. I'm like, well, that's what's happened when you change your diet. And uh, yeah, so those are really fun stories. Just uh, just how excited they get. I was like, wow, I didn't know my body could do that. I'm like, well, <laughs> get out of the right. way. Your body will do its thing. Um, but I would love to hear kind of, we kind of skipped over it. I typically try to get your personal story, but can how did you transition into is it plant-based nutrition or lifestyle in general in your practice? Cause you just kind of said, I was interested in it, but like, how did all that evolve? Yeah, I think it started perhaps at a, that started at an early age, uh, predating perhaps med school. Um, so I am Indian by background and many Indians are vegetarian by religion or culture. So I had that going for me, but I think, uh, but I wasn't always vegetarian. Um, so there was points in my life where I ate the standard American diet. And um, so that kind of primed me to a plant-based diet. And uh, I was aware of some things uh, like tofu and uh, whatnot. 
And uh, as I was uh, going through um, residency, uh, I started to, which is a stressful time for doctors. It's uh, 80 hour weeks and uh, not much time for sleep and you're on call and things like that. I started to have health problems of my own. I had uh, my cholesterol was creeping up, my A1C was creeping up. So I started to make changes to, to return back to being uh, plant-based and I became vegetarian. But just because you're vegetarian doesn't mean you're eating healthy. You can obviously eat very unhealthy Oreos, French fries, uh, processed food. And it was during this time that I was reading uh, different books uh, back at that time. You have to go back 10 years now. Uh, uh, you know, the books at that time were books by uh, Dean Ornish. And then there was a China study and uh, Food Revolution and all these books. I started reading these books and I was learning all this information. And I loved how they included citations and references, because as a physician, you want to know where they're getting this information. And some of those references, I would go look up and I would be like, oh, okay, this is real information that is uh, being used that was just not included in medical school or at any point in my uh, training. And so I started using that information not only for my personal life, but also for my professional life. Why are we not including this? Why do we not talk about it? Why do we not discuss this in papers? Why do we not present this in conferences? Uh, why, why is it that we always just focus on the newest, coolest medication, which happens also to be the most expensive, but we don't talk about carrots or kale? Um, and people would say, oh, that's, uh, we know that, but do we? Uh, and, you know, we, I don't know if people fully understand, and there's actually a whole science and literature, and you can actually become board certified in lifestyle medicine, and there's all these things that one may say that they know, but there's actually so much more to it. And then the other thing is, is uh, I remember asking this question in Grand Rounds, and um, uh, the speaker went back to me and said, uh, responded back to me, and I think which was inappropriate at that time, and said that, yeah, you could eat a plant-based diet, but you'd be sitting at a table all alone because everyone else will be eating all the fun food. And as yeah, um, but that's also the mindset that we are dealing with. There's a, a lot of bias, and we see that. We know that. We know that literature exists. People who eat unhealthy, who smoke, who don't exercise, tend to counsel less, tend to believe less in these things, tend to emphasize it less, and unfortunately that results in less behaviors, healthful behaviors being adopted by patients and which unfortunately leads to the perpetuation of these chronic lifestyle diseases, which are unfortunately then just continuously treated with medications, mm -hmm. which is yeah. unfortunate. It, it is. Um, you know, I tell people now, it's like, if you withhold the information regarding lifestyle interventions, a whole food plant-based diet and such, it's, I consider it malpractice. It'd be like withholding a prescription that could save someone's life. So it makes no sense to me why we wouldn't do this. Um, uh, some of the other questions I get around kidney stones and certain, you know, oxalate rich foods. Could we just maybe you talk a little bit about the kidney stones, what they should be looking at and what foods they should be cautious of if someone has a family history or something like that. Yeah. Um, the kidney stones are most often caused by uh, not drinking enough water, eating too much salt, eating too much animal protein, and not eating enough fruits and vegetables for the most part. People often attribute the development of kidney stones to 
some food that might have some oxalate in it or something like that. Um, but um, but what the but the main causes are actually many aspects of the standard American diet. And uh, for some people who do have documented uh, problems with oxalate metabolism and have high amounts of oxalate in their urine, they definitely need to watch uh, 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 the foods that they eat, especially some of those foods that contain high oxalate. The foods that contain high oxalates are your spinach, rhubarb, uh, chocolate, uh, beets, uh, star fruit, uh, cashews, uh, almonds. Uh, a lot of these things have a lot of oxalate in them. You want to avoid them uh, if you are someone that has uh, true diagnosed oxalate issues. For the vast majority of people that I see that have uh, kidney stones, the, the issues are, like I said, they're, they're not drinking enough water. Often they tell me that they don't like water, um, uh, but unfortunately you do need water to for life. And then um, salt, uh, people tell me that they don't uh, eat salt, they don't add salt, but what they don't realize is salt already being added for them. So I encourage them to check nutrition labels. And then uh, they don't eat any fruits or vegetables. And then uh, that causes problems too, because fruits and vegetables have a lot of natural uh, stone inhibitors uh, um, uh, like uh, citrate, potassium, magnesium, uh, all these compounds that can help prevent stones. And uh, the last thing is animal protein. Animal protein is very acidic, acidifies the urine and increases the risk of having a kidney stone. So I tell people to make these big four changes and for many of them, it actually helps them uh, transform their urine. There's a test that you can do a 24-hour urine collection, and that uh, uh, resolves most of the issues that they have on that test. Um, and then uh, every once in a while, I see somebody that has an oxalate issue, and uh, we have to work on the oxalate. But uh, um, for the most part, uh, uh, people don't really need to avoid eating spinach, and most people don't eat spinach all the time. But if you're one of those people that's eating spinach three times a day, and you're combining it with, say, almond milk, and you throw in some, I don't know, beets, uh, then you can start running into problems, and then you really need to back off of those things. So there is a way to overdo the oxalates and get stones, but that's not really the issue for most people. Mm, yeah, because some people, you know, they pound in a couple of pounds of spinach, 16 ounces or so into their smoothies and they gulp it down daily along with uh, you know, almond milk, things like that. Um, so question, um, when we look at, I was uh, interviewing a plant-based endocrinologist and uric acid. Um, what about uric acid? Is there anything there that related to kidney health and things that we should be aware of? People used to think that, but there were a recent series of studies that kind of debunk that and shows okay. that um, that there isn't really uh, an association between uric acid and developing kidney disease and then lowering it doesn't really help with kidney disease. We used to think that, but um, a, a few studies as of recently have come out just showing that, that, that there's really no association. However, if someone has gout or is symptomatic from the uric acid or um, has stones uh, or has a lot of uric acid crystals in the urine, then it might be worthwhile to have it addressed. But um, I think we're backing away from uh, just 
just uh, trying to lower it just to help the kidney. Gotcha. Yeah, when I was uh, when I was active duty Air Force, I was deployed to the Middle East, and I <laughs> they didn't have like the ER was the clinic was everything. Everything was there, and I saw so many young men come in with kidney stones. Like I saw more in that period of time than <laughs> my entire career as in regular practice. So that dehydration piece is so true. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, so if we have someone who is, let's say, uh, listening to this and they're like, okay, I have kidney disease. I have this, I have that. What are some of the foods that you'd recommend them getting started and should, how should they uh, approach this conversation with their nephrologist if they have a nephrologist or their, their physician? Yeah, so I would say to, um, again, work with a dietitian, uh, try to find one that has uh, some familiarity with plant-based diets, and, uh, and then also to inform their physician that they're changing their diet so that they can get labs checked. Uh, well, during this transition, maybe their labs are being checked maybe, you know, a couple times a year, but now with the transition, they need to have labs checked a little bit more frequently. As for foods, I would say to start with foods that one likes. Um, doesn't make sense to start with foods that you don't like because then you may not continue it and then you might go back to all the unhealthy foods that, uh, that you were eating before. But uh, whatever you like, um, to start there as long as it's plant, uh, plant uh, unprocessed and, uh, you haven't been told otherwise to avoid it. Uh, for example, uh, some transplant patients, uh, need to avoid, uh, grapefruit juice and, uh, so, uh, and grapefruit products. So, um, uh, otherwise, uh, other foods are, are fine. Cool. No, that sounds, that sounds fantastic. Well, I know I kept you closing in on our time that uh, we agreed to. So I really appreciate you coming and sharing your knowledge today. This was great. No problem. I'm glad to be here. And it was my pleasure. Thank you for having me.